0: Propitiation. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Propitiation. Not even sure I'm saying it right. Not a word we use in everyday English. Not a word that many people even know is a word. What does propitiation mean? Could you define propitiation if it was a question on a test? (laughs) Could you explain it to your kids sitting there in your living rooms? I don't know. You see, when it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, there's an awful lot going on. There's a lot of different elements to it. There's a depth to the truth that it personifies. There are a multitude of ways that the death and resurrection of Jesus impacts humanity. And so there's a lot of different ways that preachers and teachers use to explain the cross and salvation to everyday people. And one of the ways is propitiation. But you know, in today's society, there's a little bit of a problem. It's, it's that all of us are just so sensitive. We're, we're just so quick to be offended, to be upset with other people's actions or words or behaviors. And I think sometimes all of us need to relearn that verse that says, love is not easily offended, 1 Corinthians 13 and so because other people are often so easily offended us Christians feel this urge to present an inoffensive god to them right we want to we want to tell them that god is good and god is kind god is a new testament god of love and mercy and and we often will even compare and contrast the god of the new testament oh he's so nice with the god of the old testament oh he's such an ogre even though it's the exact same God. And so we don't like to talk about such difficult things as God's wrath or hell or the wages of sin or blood. And because of that, sometimes we really don't want to think about Jesus being the sacrifice for sin And we certainly don't want to think about Jesus being the sacrifice for my sin. If you tuned into the citywide Good Friday service on Friday morning, you heard Pastor Mike from Trailview speak about the seven sentences that Jesus uttered on the cross as he was dying, his seven last words. And there's one sentence that Jesus says that is particularly jarring. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Matthew 27, 46. And maybe this morning, out of all the things that Jesus said on that Black Friday, maybe you can relate to this statement the most. This feeling of being forsaken, abandoned. This sense that God is not close, he's far away. This idea that God has turned his back on us, turned his back on this entire planet Earth, turning his back on you. Maybe you're feeling just a little bit abandoned this Easter. No church service, no family gatherings, no joy, no hope, just a stupid pandemic keeping us all locked up in our little homes away from each other like animals in cages. Our God, our God, why have you forsaken us? This morning is Easter Sunday morning, but there are two things this morning that I am not going to do in our message First, I know many of you love exegetical sermons. We just love to open up God's word and go through it, uh, taking a passage line by line, phrase by phrase, and I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to preach more of a topical sermon based out of Hebrews chapter 10 rather than a verse-by-verse exposition of Hebrews 10. And second of all, even though it's Resurrection Sunday, even though it's a day of joy, I I'm not going to be sunshine and sparkles this morning. I'm just not going to spend a lot of time on Jesus is risen, yea, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, just have enough faith and nothing bad will ever happen to you. Sorry if that's what you think you need. But this morning we're going to go back to the first act, the death of Jesus. We're going to be spending some time at the cross. Before we get to the resurrection, we're going to be thinking about the cursing and the blessing. We're going to be thinking about the wrath and the forgiveness. We're going to be thinking about the death and the resurrection. So the first thing that we want to be thinking about this morning is that Jesus bore the curse of sin Hebrews 10 verse 11, under the old covenant, the priest stands before the altar day after day offering sacrifices that can never take away sin. You've probably at some point in your life had a parent or a teacher look at you and shake their finger at you and say, don't curse, don't curse. That's an interesting word, curse, isn't it? Sometimes you hear the word curse and and you think about, like, superstitious stuff, right? You think about black magic and voodoo chants, witch doctors putting hexes on people, poking little pins into little stuffed things, right? We are so proud of our scientific worldview that the idea of curses, well, that's relegated to outdated superstition, right? Curses aren't a real thing. Are they? Curses don't actually have any power, do they? We don't like to think about cursing in general and we certainly don't like to think about God cursing. But God curses. God curses Adam, Genesis chapter 3. God curses the serpent, Genesis 3. God curses the Ground, Genesis 5.29. God curses the wicked, Proverbs 3.33. Over and over again in our Bibles, I say this as reverently and carefully as possible. God does a lot of cursing in the Bible. But Jesus, like the perfect beloved, sinless son of God. God curses Jesus? God the Father cursing his own son? That's almost beyond imagining. I I, I like that in Pastor Mike's sermon on Friday, he didn't shy away from that anguished cry of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I like that he didn't try to lessen the pain of that awful terrible horrific moment if jesus is god and he is and if god cannot lie and he cannot then there is some very real sense in which god the father actually did turn his back and abandon his own son as galatians 3 puts it when jesus hung on the cross He took upon himself the curse for all our wrongdoing. Galatians 3.13. Jesus bore the curse of sin. You see, God remains perpetually unhappy with the propensity of humanity to sin. And sin is an awful thing. Horrific and terrible. And because of how gross sin is, God's curse and God's wrath is poured out on sin. And that's our second thought for this morning, that Jesus endured the wrath of God Hebrews 10.6 says, You were not pleased with animals burned on the altar or with other offerings for sin. And again, the idea of God being a wrathful God is so difficult for us to understand. We don't like to think of that idea, sinners in the hands of an angry God. We want to take the edge off the wrath of God. We want to mitigate it somehow. I wonder, though, if you could somehow sit there and watch your prized sheep having its throat slit, watching the blood pour out As the animal struggled and its life ebbed away. I wonder how you could not think about the wrath of God. I think that was the whole purpose of the sacrifice. To remember the wrath of God. And it didn't even work. We sang the line. Till on that cross. As Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied you ever really thought about that line in the song that we just sang the wrath of God You know, perhaps the most well-known Bible verse about the wrath of God isn't even found in the Old Testament. It's actually found in the New Testament, in the book of Romans. Romans 1 verse 18, Romans starts out with this idea. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and all wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And the rest of the Bible follows suit. Psalm 711, God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. Nahum 1-2, the Lord is a jealous God filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. J.I. Packer says this about God's wrath. He says God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. No, no. God's wrath is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. And still, we just don't like to think about God being wrathful. And we certainly don't want to think about Jesus, the beloved son of God, our precious Jesus, taking the wrath of God against all sin. But the reality is, he did just that. Bearing the curse, enduring the wrath, experiencing the death. Hebrews 10.10, 10, God wants us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ for all time. And it's weird how sometimes we can use that word sacrifice and, and not even realize that when we're saying the word sacrifice, what we really mean is death. Jesus died. Hebrews 9.28 Jesus died. Hebrews 9.26 his sacrificial death for us. Hebrews 9.15 Jesus Christ died to set us free from the penalty of sins all the way back to the beginning of Hebrews. Hebrews 1.3 Christ died to cleanse us from the stain of sin. My friends the reality is that Jesus died for our sins. He died. And Fleming Rutledge says this about how it is so important for us on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection to also remember that Jesus died. She writes this. She says, The resurrection is not an isolated demonstration of divine dazzlement. It is not to be detached from its abhorrent first act. The resurrection is precisely the vindication of a man who was crucified. Without the cross at the center of the Christian proclamation, the Jesus story could be treated as just another story about a charismatic spiritual figure without the cross. It is the crucifixion that marks out Christianity as something definitively different in the whole history of religion. It is in the crucifixion that the nature of God is truly revealed. Since the resurrection is God's mighty trans-historical yes to the historically crucified son, we can assert that the crucifixion is the most important historical event that has ever happened. And she's absolutely right. We must, especially on this, the most holy of Christian days, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, we must assert the importance of the death of Jesus. Jesus bore the curse. Jesus endured the wrath. Jesus experienced the death. And that word, propitiation, it encompasses all these ideas. Propitiation means that Jesus bore the curse, endured the wrath, and experienced the death. But the word propitiation also has one more important little part of it. Jesus bore the curse, endured the wrath, experienced the death for me. He did that for me. You see, for thousands of years, the Hebrew believers, like the young man in our story this morning, they did their best to obey the law. They did their best to live set-apart lives, to act like God's people, and and to regularly go sacrifice an animal in the attempt to cover their sin and placate God's wrath. And they did it over and over and over. Over and over and over. And we cannot even imagine what a butcher's shop the temple grounds were. You can't picture the carnage. You cannot even imagine the stench. And like the little boy in our story realized, none of it worked. Hebrews 10.3, those yearly sacrifices simply reminded them of their sins year after year after year. And that's what Pastor Darren tried to picture for you, this sobering reality that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God, that we are not simply innocent people who sometimes make bad choices. We are sinners who deserve condemnation. God is just when he curses us. God is fair when he condemns us. God is even-handed when he judges us. God is right when he is angry with our sins. God is absolutely correct and moral and ethical and good when he declares that the wages of our Sin is death. We deserve death. And then Jesus pays that penalty for us. He takes that judgment. He carries that curse. He bears that wickedness. And on Friday, Pastor Mike said, We don't like to be reminded that Jesus had to die for us. We would rather accept what Jesus has done for us than think about what we did to him. And I guess this is where I've been camping out this past week. You see, so many people in our world get so offended so easily, and I guess I'm one of them. (laughs) Other people sometimes, they're just the worst, right? And so we get so upset with them. How could they think that way? How could they talk that way? And we lose our temper and we become keyboard warriors rallying, railing against the transgressions of other people. We've all done it. And we forget, just briefly, that we too are sinners, I give myself so much grace and I give other people so much judgment. What would happen if I started to give myself just a little bit more judgment and I started to give others just a little bit more grace? My friend Rick Playfair posted a picture on Facebook this week. It's this one. It's Jesus on the cross, but it's not Jesus. It's all the sins that he's bearing on the cross. Pride, malice, not trusting, lust, fear, selfishness, gluttony. And in some of the comments that were made as Rick posted this, people were talking about how terrible other people were. Yeah, people are the worst. I mean, murderers, oh goodness. People who gossip, oh my goodness. Don't they realize that they crucified Jesus? Yeah, people are so bad. Good thing I'm not like them. It sucks that Jesus had to die for all the sins of all the other people, the terrible things that they did. And people should all be more. More like me C.J. Mahaney says until you see yourself standing there with the shrieking crowd full of hostility and hatred for the holy and innocent lamb of God until you see yourself there in the crowd you don't really understand the nature and depth of your sin nor the necessity of the cross We'd rather accept what he's done for us than think about what we did to him. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. It was my sin that held him there. He became sin who knew no sin he became my sin my sin caused the death of my savior and yet a lot can happen in 3 days hebrews 10:17 i will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds Hebrews 10, 16, this is the new covenant that I'll make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts. I'll write them on their minds. Hebrews 10, 14, by the one offering of Christ, he has forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Hebrews 10, 12, our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Hebrews 10, 10, and what God wants for us is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Jesus bore the curse of sin for me so that I could receive the blessing of God. Jesus endured the wrath of God for me so that I could receive the forgiveness of God. Jesus experienced the death death for me so that I could receive eternal life. My friends, this in a nutshell is propitiation. Jesus bore the curse of sin for me so that I could receive God's blessing. Jesus endured God's wrath for me so that I could receive God's forgiveness. Jesus experienced death, that separation from God for me so that I could receive eternal life. The depths of the riches of grace and mercy that are ours because of what Christ has done for us our sins are forgiven once and for all time the perfect son of God took our place and took our punishment forever now here's the challenge you see, if Jesus paid it all, and he did, then what can you possibly add to that? Like, like, what can you give to him that he doesn't already own? What can you possibly bring or do or sacrifice or give or accomplish to, to add to what he has already done? Yeah. Nothing. 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 And your little rule-following heart hates that thought. Doesn't it? Like... Like there's got to be something I can do, Jesus. There's got to be some way that I can respond. There's got to be something that I can add. And for some of you, you want to bring him the good stuff, right? You, you, you want to bring him your successes. You want to bring him nice things. Look, Jesus, I made this crooked clay pot for you in art class. Look, Jesus, I picked these wilted dandelions from the field and put them in a pot for you. Look, Jesus, I did this for you. And Jesus is looking at you and going, why are you cluttering up my altar What's all this junk for on my altar? My altar has been cleansed with the blood of Jesus. Why'd you pick my dandelions, man? Don't you know they're going to die now? Don't you realize that I paid it all? You're just insulting me by thinking that your tiny little good deeds can somehow accomplish anything. You're insulting me. Look, dude, all I want is for you to surrender your life to me so that I can live my life in you. I don't want your good deeds. I want to do good deeds through you. You don't give them to me. I do them through you. Just let me in and let me take over. That's what Jesus says. And for others of you, man, it's your sins that keep you up late at night and 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 you just you you think that you've done something that that is just beyond the pale it, it's it's just too much. For grace, like like this passage, this whole passage is completely irrelevant to you because you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but, but pastor, you don't know about what's going on inside of me. You don't you don't know about my struggles with this sin. You don't know about what I did that one time that nobody knows about. You don't you don't know how wicked my thoughts are. You don't know how far from grace I am. You don't know how terrible a person I am, and so you keep bringing your sins to the altar again and again and again and again. And Jesus is like, stop cluttering my altar with. Your stuff. I already paid for them. And you're like, but Jesus, I just committed this sin yesterday. How could you have paid for it already? And Jesus shakes his head at you and he goes, Man, you don't get it. See, I died for all your sins, all of them. And because I died for all of your sins, 2000 years ago before you had even committed one of them that means that I've died for all your sins your past sins your present sins and your future sins like Jesus has already covered the sin that you're going to go out and commit this afternoon that's crazy try wrapping your little skull around that thought whether you think that you can somehow impress him with your good deeds or that you can drive him away with your bad deeds just stop already. Give your head a shake. He is the better sacrifice. No sacrifice can match him. No sin cannot not be covered. He's the better sacrifice. And then people, like, just be good to each other. Just choose mercy with each other. Stop sitting on God's judgment seat. Your butt's too small to fit there anyways. When you are dealing with other Christians, just remind them that Jesus died for them and was raised from the dead for them and that he's the better sacrifice and they can put their trust in that. Just remind them of that. And and when you're dealing with non-Christians, don't worry about trying to convince them intellectually. Just tell them Jesus died and was raised from the dead for them and he's the better sacrifice and they can put their trust in that. Just be good to other people. God wants us, all of us, to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ Christ once and for all time and if you believe that if you've accepted it and you're following it as truth then your sins are forgiven the light has shone in the darkness of your life the sun has risen and where your sins have been forgiven (laughs) there's no need to offer any sacrifices anymore Jesus is the better sacrifice. Once and for all. Once and for all. Let's pray. On this day when we remember that you came back from the dead, thank you for reminding us of the price that you paid your death and your resurrection has accomplished our salvation. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are the better sacrifice, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.